The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Winbet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to in-game odds in every major sport, Winbet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get a $100 free bet at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions do apply. We're also brought to you by our mini helmet contest. The SGP mini helmets are now in the store and we're giving one away for free. Just go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash helmet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash helmet. And finally, Football Bingo is back. This time for the NFL Christmas Day slate. Free to play and every bingo gets a $100 SGPN gift card. Exclusively on the SGPN app. You are listening to the EPL show here. The EPL is back on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can follow the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. They are at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And you can follow my Twitter at LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. It's a Twitter account for LockBetting.com. The pinned tweet is the previous PL for LockBetting.com, which is the month of November. But that'll be getting replaced in a week within month of December. And you can see all of the futures picks from the World Cup. We absolutely smashed it. And that will be the 115th month in a row of Transbank Track Profit. Do yourself a favour in 2023 and sign up for the service. So moving on with this EPL resumption preview. 15 games were played and then the World Cup began and we took a break. But it's important to note this isn't the halfway mark. We are nowhere near the halfway mark. We still have to play the entire festive period before we get to the halfway mark. So be careful with your takes in terms of um, this team of this and this team of that because we're 15 games in and I don't think the league table is going to look anything like it does now at the end of the season. So let's have a look at how things stand and let's have a look at these futures markets. We begin with the outright winner's market where Manchester City are the favourites to win the league at 1-2 minus 200. They are joined by Arsenal, who are second at 5-2. And then we have a big jump to Liverpool, who are available at 33-1. That's the same price that you get on Newcastle. It's 50-1 on Tottenham. It's 80-1 on Man United. And Chelsea are all the way out at 250-1. So for me, I don't see a point of talking about the likes of Liverpool, Newcastle, Tottenham, Man United and Chelsea when we're talking about the outright winner. We will save that for when we're talking about the top four, top six, because I think that's a lot more realistic. I do believe we have a two-horse race on paper, but ultimately, I believe we have a one-horse race because I'd be looking to take 
Manchester City at one to two, two minus two hundred, and I would be looking to parlay them together with a significant favourite in another European league, maybe even a couple, because I do believe that Manchester City will win it. And I do believe there is value on them. And you can improve that price of uh, 1 to 2 minus 200 by parlaying it together with another European league winner. Why do I think this? Well, I don't think Arsenal have the legs for a title challenge. I didn't think this before they lost Gabriel Jesus. And I definitely don't think it after they've lost Gabriel Jesus. Now, statistically, Gabriel Jesus being involved is the player that gives you the biggest win percentage. This is because he's only been there since this season where Arsenal have been very good. Prior to that, it was Thomas Partey. There are statistics that tell you that when Partey doesn't play, Arsenal will fail to win those games. And when he does play, the win percentage goes up a lot. For that reason, and because of the longevity of that statistic, I think Thomas Partey is Arsenal's most important player. I think he's significantly underrated. For me, he's the best holding midfield player in the EPL. Other players will argue for Rodri and Casemiro. I think it is Casemiro overall, but I think if you want a player at Partey's age and Partey's ability, I would prefer to have Thomas Partey. Obviously, Casemiro gets the nod because Casemiro has been the best in that position for years, but he's older than Partey. So if I could pick one, I would go for Thomas Partey. And the win percentage alone, as I said, tells you how important he is. After Partey, I would go with Gabriel Jesus because I don't think that it's a coincidence what's happened to Arsenal since Gabriel Jesus came into the team. Now, if you look at his goal stats for a number nine, they have been admittedly underwhelming because when Arsenal signed Gabriel Jesus, I'm sure supporters were expecting more goals, especially when you looked at what Gabriel Jesus did In the pre-season, I think people were expecting more goals from him, but he's done more than that for Arsenal. Yes, his goal-scoring record isn't up to scratch, but with Gabriel Jesus in the team, it does allow Martinelli and Saka to get more involved. He plays them in, he, he creates space for them with his movement. And with that movement, he subsequently allows Odegaard and even Granit Xhaka to become more involved in everything. He is your traditional target man with a difference. Now, English football have been implementing target men for years, but usually they were six foot four. You'd smash the ball up to them. They'd hold it up. They'd use their physical strength and they'd allow people to get involved. Now, Gabriel Jesus' physical strength is massively underrated, but he provides more than that. Despite being very, very small, He does have that physical strength, but he also has that skill. And that skill and that ability to hold the ball up and use those skills means that he can buy time to to have other players get involved. Also, he has the ability to play a through ball. He has the ability to play a wide ball. And he creates that threat into the box. Because he is a finisher and people know he's a finisher, he will draw the attention of defenders. And that distraction alone will create space for other players to get the glory. So Gabriel Jesus here is providing a lot to Arsenal. And I think it's deluded and very much disrespectful to think that someone like Eddie Nketiah can just replace this cog, that you can remove the cog that is Gabriel Jesus and that you can put Eddie Nketiah straight into that position and suddenly have a like-for-like replacement and Arsenal will continue to tick just because they've lost one player. This is a significant player. There are two players that I would not want to lose in this team. That is Partey and the second is Gabriel Jesus. And unfortunately for Arsenal, they've lost one of them. 
And unfortunately for Arsenal, I think it's a case of staying in the top four as opposed to mounting a serious title challenge once the season resumes. And I'm saying this as a team for a team that are five points clear. And usually statistics tell you if you're a top at Christmas, you usually do go on to win the league. However, usually is usually... And I don't think usually is going to happen this time. And I don't think Arsenal will win the league or challenge for it come the resumption, especially with the absence of Gabriel Jesus, which I believe is going to be around three months at least. So we now move on to the top four. This is where you see Man City at one to 100. Uh, Arsenal are at one to 12. Liverpool are at four to seven. Tottenham six to five. Man United five to four. Newcastle 11 to 8, Chelsea at 7 to 2. So interesting here how Liverpool had a very, very poor start to the season. And there were questions being asked about their tiredness and their lack of squad depth. And is Nunes a poor signing? And is Mo Salah playing the same way? Now he's got his big fat contract. And and suddenly it's doing a little bit of form together and Liverpool are the significant favourites in the top four market aside from the top two who are clear. And this is from a Liverpool team who sits sixth in the table at the, at the moment, uh, a whole seven points outside of the top four, eight points behind Newcastle, although they do have a game in hand on Newcastle and Spurs. So I think that price on Liverpool is very short, but I think the standout thing for me here and it was a standout for me, thing for me at the start of the season as well, is this love for Tottenham Hotspur. Now, this has to only be for Antonio Conte because when I look at this squad, and I did this at the start of the season, and don't forget, I pointed this out at the start of the season, where Tottenham were the four to six third favourites to finish in the top four, third favourites for the league, third favourites for the top four, and you had Manchester United all the way down at five to two. They were the six favourites to finish in the top four. Now, I said I would only take two players from Tottenham, maybe three, in my Manchester United lineup. And at the time, one of those was Christian Romero because I thought that he would be better than Lissandra Martinez. He was more proven, but I don't think that I would necessarily take um, Romero over Martinez. I think that's a very 50-50 conversation. Obviously, Argentina in the World Cup lean towards Romero. Um, I'm not saying I lean towards Martinez, but I'm saying he's too close to call. I'm not definitely having uh, Romero alongside Varane. I probably am. And um, I'm probably having Harry Kane as my number nine. But I'm not even sure if I'm having Son anymore because would I rather have our two wide players in the early 20s in Rashford or Anthony and, and Anthony or who have done well at the start of the season? Or would I rather have Son, who's not had a good start to the season and he's, um, and he's heading towards his 30s? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure if Son and Kane are automatics anymore in that lineup. But at the end of the day, whether you take Son and Kane and Romero, whether you take all three... That's three players in my combined 11. That's eight players from Man United. And when you're looking at squad depth, you give the edge to Man United. The goalkeeper, Man United. The fullbacks, Man United. The centre-back pairing, Man United. The midfield, Man United. The attack, maybe Tottenham, but just about. Man United, we know, need to sign a number nine. We know it's possible they'll sign Cody Gakpo. I don't think Cody Gakpo is your solution to your number nine problem necessarily. But I don't know if in modern day football, especially if you're a counter-attacking team that want to counter-attack with speed, that you need a number nine. The bottom line is, 
how were Tottenham 4-6 and Man United 5-2? And obviously this was pre-signing Casemiro and Anthony. And how, as we approach this moment, are Tottenham 6-5 and Man United 5-4 when Man United are three points behind Tottenham with a game in hand and significantly played them off the park at Old Trafford with Tottenham having problems over the future of Antonio Conte and Man United having more money to significantly invest in the market. I don't see it. For me... I do think Arsenal cling on. I do think Manchester City obviously get there. I do think Liverpool do have a better second half to the season. But I also think that Manchester United edge out Tottenham with uh, Newcastle not having the legs to maintain a fight for the top four. And Chelsea, it'll be very interesting to see what happens to them in terms of of Graham Potter and uh, committing to this project. Because what we were told when Graham Potter took over the job was that this was a long-term project, no matter what happened. Well, no matter what happened is a strong statement because we know Thomas Tuchel wasn't fired for a bad start. We're told that he was fired because the two were moving in a wrong direction in terms of the owners and Thomas Tuchel and what he wanted to do with the club and how he conducted himself. Well, Potter's supposed to be the future, but is he the future if he finishes seventh in the table? Because they're seventh in the market. They're behind Newcastle, they're behind Manchester United here in this top four market and this squad and the money they've spent certainly should be. So if Potter does actually finish seventh, will he keep his job? Will he even keep his job if it looks like they're going to finish seventh? So we will cover the next manager to go market later on, but it's going to be very, very interesting. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Newcastle. I don't think they're going to have the legs unless they maintain um, this unbelievable form. What they've done is they've signed some very decent players, but nothing world-class. And what this has done is it's bought up the players that were already at Newcastle. Suddenly, everybody at Newcastle is massively overperforming. And I'm just not sure that that overperformance can continue. I do think they're going to need to make some significant investment in the transfer market in order to stay in the top four. And even the top six, because if we look at the top six market, we have uh, Liverpool 1 to 10, Tottenham 2 to 9, Man United 1 to 4, and Newcastle also at 1 to 4. So essentially, if you think like I do, that the top five is going to be um, Manchester, uh, Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Man United, and you think that one of Newcastle or Chelsea are going to finish sixth and seventh, you're essentially taking minus 400 that you think this Newcastle team will finish above. Chelsea in the table, or even if you throw Tottenham and Man United into that conversation, you're saying it's a minus 400 shot that Newcastle will definitely manage to finish above one of these teams. Well, if you're a supporter of Tottenham, Chelsea and Man United, and you're asked if you're content to finish behind Newcastle, the answer will be an absolute no. None of these teams want to be in a position where they're outside of the top six, obviously. And in order for Newcastle to finish in the top six, one of those teams are going to have to relinquish their place in the top six. Therefore, getting the price on Newcastle at three to one to finish outside of the top six is absolutely massive because we know they don't make big signings. We know there isn't going to be a £100 million striker or anybody added here 
for Newcastle to continue down this path. We know they make good, solid signings that add value to their team, that add weight to their team, that improve their team. It's a slow project where they're not even supposed to be finishing in the top six this season. They're supposed to be finishing in the top half. So to suddenly be the one to four minus 400 favourites to finish in the top four and to be three to one to finish outside, of, uh, to, to, sorry, to be the one to four favourites to finish in the top six and to suddenly be three to one plus 300 to finish outside the top six, something doesn't seem right there, especially when you're looking at only 15 games being played. I think it's a massive assumption to think that Newcastle are going to continue on in this form and in an individual market, I would not back Newcastle to finish above Manchester United. I would not back Newcastle to finish above Tottenham. And I wouldn't back Newcastle at this price to finish above Chelsea. Do I think Newcastle will finish above Chelsea? I think they probably will. I think Chelsea are looking like they're going to finish seventh. I think by the time they do abandon the Graham Potter project, and I do think they'll abandon it at some point when they look like they're going to finish seventh or eighth in the league, when they're out of all the cup competitions, when they're out of the Champions League, I do believe that they'll realise that Graham Potter was a mistake. But I think it's going to be too late to probably finish above Newcastle. So I do think that Newcastle will edge into that top six, but I don't think they'll finish ahead of Liverpool, Tottenham or Manchester United. And ultimately, seeing him here at 3-1 to one to finish outside of the top six does provide some significant value here, in my opinion. So we now move on to the relegation market, which is led by Bournemouth at 4-7, Nottingham Forest also at four to seven. It's Wolves at even money. It's thirteen to eight Southampton, seven to four Everton, four to one Leeds, fifteen to two Fulham, nine to one Leicester, nine to one Fulham, and eleven to one here on Brentford. This is a really interesting market because it doesn't correlate to the league table at all. The books have really gone out on a limb here with some of their opinions with these teams. For example. Bournemouth, who are the joint favourites of Nottingham Forest. Well, Bournemouth are up in 14th spot. They are actually three points outside of the relegation zone at the moment. So this must be down to their recent form, which has seen them lose four in a row. They've been in very poor form as we entered the World Cup. So perhaps that's the reason. Also, probably because of their squad depth and lack of investment. They are worthy favourites to be in the relegation market or among the relegation favourites. But it doesn't correlate to the league table when you look at Nottingham Forest. They are probably at the right price because they are in the relegation zone at the moment. And uh, despite the fact that Cooper was given a new contract, we never saw any kind of bounce from that. We never saw Forrest really adjusting to the EPL and suddenly um, utilising all of that talent that they had and moving up the table. Because when you look at the Forrest squad, they should be nowhere near the relegation zone. So it'd be interesting to see if that does click as we move to the second half of the table. I think a good indicator would be the fact that they got themselves into the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup. That was a good performance against Blackburn in midweek. So perhaps this time off has helped them have a second pre-season with these new players because the first pre-season was absolutely hectic, especially with the late signings. And perhaps with the ones that didn't go to the World Cup, this has helped and Nottingham Forest will be better in the second half of the season. I expect they will. I don't have Nottingham Forest going down. I do have Bournemouth going down, despite the fact they are 14th in the table. But I don't have Nottingham Forest going down, which ultimately means two other teams are going to go down and therefore there is some significant value in the market. Wolves, who are bottom of the table, are only the third favourites to go down at even money. 
They desperately need to find a goal scorer. Lepetegui needs to make that his priority in the next window. I think he's a good enough manager to keep this team up. I think this team are good enough to stay up. They've gone toe-to-toe for years with the teams at the top and they haven't lost too much personnel. So I do think they will end up staying up. But um, scoring eight goals from 15 games is completely unacceptable and it's symptomatic of a big problem that Wolves need to solve if they want any chance of staying in the EPL this season. But I think that the manager is good. I think the squad is good. And ultimately, I also think they'll get out of trouble. So we have a team of 4-7 to go down and a team that are even money to go down. And I believe that both of them are going to get out of it. Therefore, In my opinion, that means there is significant value in all of the other teams. Southampton here at 13 to 8. I do believe that they will go down. I think that the appointment of Nathan Jones was a very, very strange one. Now, I understand that he has pedigree at his level, but coming to Southampton is a huge step up from Luton. It's the kind of appointment that you make when you're in mid-table, when you're looking to build towards the future. I think it's very underestimated what Ralph Hasenhutl did here as a Southampton manager. And unfortunately for Southampton, and this is a team I I, I like, and sometimes I go to Southampton because it's easy to get tickets there, um, not particularly well supported. So if you want to go and watch a big team, if you if you ever visit in the UK, um, you've got a very good chance of seeing a big team playing away to Southampton. And uh, I think they're going to realise what a good job he did. And I do think Nathan Jones will steer this team back down to the championships, which is ironically a league where he's more comfortable in and he'll probably be able to manage them back up. But I do believe there is significant value in Southampton at 13-8. to Elsewhere, I'm not too sure where the value lies. I'm not sure who the other team is going to be. It could be one of the teams that I deem will get out of it, like Nottingham Forest and Wolves. But I don't think Everton will go down. I don't think Leeds will go down, despite the fact that they do have massive inconsistent periods under Jesse Marsh. I do think the price on Fulham is too big at the moment for them to be all the way out at seven to one. Uh, they are sitting off or 15 to two rather. They are sitting in the top half of the table. But look, between Fulham in ninth spot and Wolves at the very bottom of the table, there's only nine points. There's only six points between Fulham and Nottingham Forest. And we've played 15 games. Six points is significant when there's 10 games left. It's not as significant when we have 23 games left to play. So there's still a lot of football to be played and Fulham are not safe despite the fact they're 15 to 2. I think Leicester are now moving in the right direction. I don't see them being sucked back in. I think West Ham are too good to go down, although they do need to move up the table in order for David Moyes to keep his job. And we'll talk about that next as we as we talk about the next manager to go. So I do think there's big, big value in this market. I do believe that Wolves and Nottingham Forest will make a fight of it and will be able to get themselves out. But my two strongest picks here would be on Bournemouth, who are available at four to seven. So it's a very short price, a lot of juice there. And Southampton at 13 to eight. Don't believe in the squad. Don't believe in Nathan Jones. Believe Ralph Hasenhutl's work was very, very much underrated. And I do believe they'll find out about that at the end of the season. So we now move on to what we've been pretty much teasing throughout the show, which is the next manager to go market. As we're talking about these clubs, we've mentioned their managers a lot. And um, subsequently, that means we end up talking about their managers and who will go next. Well, Ralph Ralph Hasenhut was the last manager to go on the 7th of November. And since then, the market has been led by Frank Lampard. 
He's top of the market here at a four to seven. I completely disagree with this. Therefore, when you disagree with a significant favourite like this, it means there's huge value for the rest of the market. Lampard, I don't think, is going to be the next manager to go. As long as Everton don't look in dire relegation trouble, which they don't at the moment, and I don't think they will when the season resumes, because don't forget, Everton couldn't score more than one goal in their first few games because they didn't have a striker. And a lot is going to be on the shoulders of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But if this team can improve their goal output and they can move themselves up the table, the expectation is only 13th, 14th or 15th in the table, then Frank Lampard's going to stay. The fans love him. He's not the one who got them in a hole. It was the other managers that spent um, half a billion pounds or whatever it was that they spent that meant that Everton have violated or on the verge of violating financial fair play, which means they can't spend any more money. Lampard's not spent the money. Lampard hasn't had any money. Lampard is essentially managing these average players that were signed for too much money by by other managers. So now he has the job of just steering the ship. And so far, he steered it to the satisfaction of the Everton fans. They don't blame Lampard. They like Frank Lampard. And therefore, I don't think Frank Lampard's going to get sacked. And therefore, I don't think Frank Lampard should be leading this market. After him, you have David Moyes. Again, this is a situation where I don't think David Moyes is going to get sacked. Now, West Ham fans are a lot more ungrateful and more temperamental than the Everton fans because I think they think they should be way higher up the table. Maybe they should be with the players that they have and with what they did in Europe last season. But Moyes got you to Europe. And Moisey got you that European run last year where you ended up falling one game away from making it to the Europa League final. Now, did Moisey manage that the wrong way because he was trying to get this team as high up in the league as possible whilst concentrating on the cup? I believe he did. I believe had he gone all out for the Europa League, West Ham could have won it. But this season, I think they're very much contenders for the Europa Conference League. And West Ham have a genuine chance of winning a trophy. And I can only tell you from living in the area what that would mean if West Ham were to win a trophy before Tottenham. Tottenham have had a drought since 2008. It's been since Tottenham have won a trophy, which is embarrassing for them. And West Ham obviously have had a bigger drought. But if West Ham can win a trophy, a European trophy, even if it's the Europa Conference League, they will be able to stick that in the faces of their biggest rivals, which is the Tottenham fans. And I think that would be a significant achievement. In order for him to get the opportunity, though, they cannot be in a relegation race. But if West Ham can steer themselves away from a relegation race, I'm not talking about getting themselves back to where they were last season or even being in the top half. If they can be safe and they can continue competing in the Europa Conference League and give themselves a genuine chance of winning it, which I do think they have, then David Moyes will be safe. And therefore... Once again, when you rule out the favourites, you get significant value in the market. You get to Graham Potter next. He's at eight to one. Now, I understand what was said. He's going to get time. He's our manager. He's our choice. He's the future. We're going to build everything around him. We're going to invest in him. Well, he's had a lot of investment and there's a lot of good players here at Chelsea, a lot of expensive players. And uh, you're sitting eight in the table. You've been beaten five times in 14 games already this season. And you have a zero goal difference of 17 conceded and 17 scored. This is not good enough. For Chelsea to have no wins in five as we resume the season after the World Cup, it's not good enough. Now, this manager needs a big start because if it looks like Chelsea actually going to finish seventh or eighth and are staring towards the, the bottom half of the table, then it doesn't matter what the project is. If there's no trophies, if there's no cup runs, if there's no, and there won't be a cup run, there's no cup run in the Carabao Cup because they're out. 
and they've been unlucky enough to draw Manchester City again in the FA Cup, so they're probably going to be out in round three. So there's not going to be a run in the Champions League, I don't believe. I don't believe that they'll get any further than the, the, the quarterfinals. And once that quarterfinal exit comes, if there's nobody that goes before then, then I do believe that will be the point where we could lose Graham Potter. Because if you're out of the Champions League and you're still 7th or 8th in the Premier League and your team don't improve, then Graham Potter offers significant value here in the market, as does Antonio Conte at 12-1. to 1. This is a huge price on a manager who's very, very temperamental. Tottenham are expected to finish in the top four. If it looks like they're not going to, this is a manager who has another job waiting for him. And Mauricio Pochettino is waiting in the wings. And I think it would be the preference of everybody involved. Maybe not some Tottenham fans, but for Mauricio Pochettino, he would love to come back to Tottenham. For Antonio Conte, he would love to go to Juve. For Juve fans, they would love to have Antonio Conte. For Tottenham fans, they would love to have Mauricio Pochettino and and the style of football that he plays. So this is a win, win, win for everybody. And all it takes for Tottenham to pull the trigger or for Antonio Conte to decide he wants to go to Juve is for Tottenham to start poorly or for Tottenham to go on a little bit of a poor run where they, where they lose back-to-back games or, or, or exit uh, another cup competition like the FA Cup or, or the Champions League and that will be it. So at 12-1 to 1, with another job waiting in the wings, I think there is significant value on Antonio Conte and I think that's where the value lies in the market. Outside of that, you've got Jesse Marsh at 12-1. to 1. Yeah, he could be sacked at any time if Leeds go on a poor run. Granted, uh, you have Steve Cooper at 12 to 1. He got that big fat contract, which puts people off. But when you're ridiculously rich paying out that contract to, to uh, paying off that contract to get a new manager and to stay in the Premier League, if you believe that's the right thing to do, isn't really a big deal. And then you have Gary O'Neill at 25 to 1. He's only really just got the job after a long trial period. I'm not too sure that they're going to be willing to sack him too quickly. But ultimately, if you're looking for Tottenham and Chelsea to only sack their manager once they actually do exit the Champions League, then perhaps the Gary O'Neill option is a good one. And I do think there is some value there at 25 to 1. I think for Brendan Rodgers to go at 33 to 1, he would have to walk. And uh, there's, there's everyone else is available 33 to 1 or bigger, but I don't think there's any value in any of the other contenders. So the last market... We are going to finish by covering just because it's one that I find amusing is the top goal scorer market. Now, the top goal scorer market has Erlen Haaland at one to eight. So there's no point talking about that because what they've actually done as a result of that, it's opened up a new market, which is top goal scorer without Erling Haaland, which I find absolutely hilarious. So the leader of this market is Harry Kane at the price of four to six. Most Salah is available at 11 to one. Mitrovic is available at 14 to 1. Then you have uh, Ivan Tony 20 to 1, Rodrigo Moreno 20 to 1, Phil Foden 22 to 1, and everyone else is bigger than 33 to 1. So Harry Kane is a significant favourite to win this, um, or win this, win this, um, this market because obviously. Haaland is the significant favourite to win the Golden Boot. He's on 12 goals, two clear of Ivan Tony. We don't know the Ivan Tony situation in terms of him returning and what kind of suspension he may get for the, the gambling the, the, the gambling trans- transgressions or whether he's just going to receive a, a massive fine. I don't actually know if that's been determined yet because I was mainly focused on the World Cup. But I don't think that Tony's going to be up there anyway in terms of being able to overtake Kane. Mitrovic should continue to score for Fulham, but if his goals dry up, then Fulham, as I said earlier, become a relegation contender. I think for me, you have to go quite far down to find a a real contender, and that's Mo Salah. At the moment, he scored half the goals of Harry Kane. He's on six goals at the moment. 
But I do think he'll be able to catch up if Liverpool improve. Don't forget, we've only played 15 games. And the assumption by the books is that Liverpool are going to finish in the top four. And in order to do so, they're going to need to win more games. And if they're going to, if they're going to win more games, Mo Salah is going to need to score more goals. So everything there goes hand in hand. I do believe Mo Salah will be a contender. I'm not worried about the six goals less he scored than Harry Kane. He's a penalty taker at the end of the day. And when Liverpool go off, they can win games by four, five, six, seven. They've won a game nine all this season. So they do have the capacity to score more goals in Tottenham, who are essentially an attack, a counter-attacking team. And when they do counter-attack, Harry Kane often drops into the hole and doesn't really get into that number nine position enough where people want to see him. And that was a big criticism of Harry Kane during the World Cup. Yes, he did a lot of unselfish work and allowed a lot of players to get into the game. A compliment that we actually gave to Gabriel Jesus earlier on in the show. But ultimately, it doesn't lead to him scoring enough goals. So um, I do think Kane is the rightful favourite here in this market. But I think Mo Salah at 10 to 1 is far, far too big. And I do believe he has the potential to catch up with Harry Kane when the season resumes. So that concludes your EPL resumption show. The season resumes on Boxing Day. Um, other European leagues are coming back as well. So usually they start a little bit later, but I know France are coming back super early around about the same time. But in England, we're used to this. There's no change for the World Cup. We are going to begin our hectic World Cup period on Boxing Day. We're going to be playing Premier League games. We are going to start the FA Cup. So nothing's going to change. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. I would tread carefully with the betting. I'm going to talk more about that on the EPL show. There will be another edition of the EPL show that's going to be covering all of your match day 17 games, beginning with the Boxing Day games. And this slate of games will stretch across from Monday to Wednesday. We have two games on Tuesday, including Man United versus Nottingham Forest, which will be covered over on BetMUFC. And on Wednesday, we see Leeds versus Manchester City. So make sure you check all of that out. Until then, good luck with all of your bets as always. And thanks for listening.